Before we jump into the show, we wanted to give you a content or trigger warning that in this episode, there are mentions of sex, rape, sexual assault, and trauma, all in the context of consent, boundaries, and toxic masculinity. Hello, and welcome to They See American Life. I'm Uma. I'm Deepti. I'm Priya. And I'm Varuna. talking about boundaries, whether in romantic relationships or with your family. Was there ever a time that you felt your boundaries were violated or someone crossed the line? An example that comes to mind for me is the way that I've interacted with uncles and aunties in the community. I think there's this idea that, of course, it would be respectful to our elders, and that means that we should allow them to say or do anything, basically. Being hugged by uncles and aunties randomly when you meet them, like maybe you don't want to hug somebody because you're not very close to them, you're not very comfortable with that, and not being able to vocalize that. And just in general, in work situations, feeling obligated to always respond right away, or with friends, always trying to be available, things like that. Those are definitely areas that I'm working on. I think I can think of a couple of examples, but I think for me, I, I, I really don't appreciate, I think people try to be like cutesy or joking about it, where it's like, you never do this for me, or you're just always like that. And it just makes me feel very uncomfortable because it's like one, like, so what if I don't do anything for you? And two, like, maybe that's how I am and it's kind of uncomfortable you're saying that when I haven't told you that myself so for me that's like a big boundary that's been violated a lot in my life but I've never like learned how to vocalize it so that's like you're saying that someone's having expectations from you and yeah yeah or like communicating information about me for me without like my consent really Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. for example like I have some dietary preferences you know I have my reasoning for what Mm -hmm. I eat Mm -hmm. and I I really don't appreciate it when people are like oh Deepthi is just a picky eater she only Mm -hmm. like eats like veggies and it's like I I have my reasons so I would like not like that broadcasted to the whole world type of thing yeah that makes sense Yeah, this is a very interesting topic because it not only delves into boundaries in terms of like dating and sex, but it's also like an emotional level too, right? I think I've definitely experienced like a lot of unsolicited advice from family members, kind of like speaking for me and making decisions or assumptions for me without Mm -hmm. even really getting to know me, you know. Or based on some surface level notion of you. Exactly, yeah. Yeah drawing a conclusion Mm -hmm. yeah and then like in dating yeah I've experienced that too and I think it just goes to show how much we do lack awareness or like knowledge on how to better communicate boundaries or better communicate our expectations or try to understand what another person wants Mm -hmm. and I see this a lot in our generation so particular in our South Asian culture yeah there's truly so many areas in our life that require consent 
So we're really excited to discuss all of this with our special guest today, Dr. Varuna Srinivasan, who specializes in South Asian sex education. And all of her work can be found at Dr. Varuna Srinivasan on Instagram. So Varuna, welcome to our show. Would you like to introduce yourself? I'm Varuna, I use she pronouns, and I am a queer um, immigrant woman of color. I write and create educational content around decolonizing sexual health, prioritizing emotional wellness and reproductive justice. Specifically, I create content around context-based sexual health education in South Asian populations. So Verna, do you want to tell us a little bit about how you actually got into this and how you opened up an Instagram account? Yeah, absolutely. I had seen that Instagram is a good place but there are a lot of activists sort of doing the work on Instagram. And now that I'm part of the South Asian diaspora, I'm part of a lot of communities and I feel like sexual health and reproductive health isn't really touched upon in those communities. I, I guess in a nutshell, I created what I was seeking out. I think there wasn't a space for me to ask questions about sex um, and sexual health and reproductive health. And so I created a page like six months ago I'm quite grateful because I um, think it's evolved in a lot of different ways and it's definitely heading in a direction that I think is very positive. Yeah, we love your page. I think it's really cool how you've been collaborating with so many different people. And so we're excited to be able to do this with you as well. Yeah, yeah. I was really excited because I never really got any education from the South Asian lens. I will say even for India and like a lot of other South Asian countries as well, there's like little to no sex education. Even the little sex education you get is very binary. It's very much like this is the male reproductive system. This is the female reproductive system. And you can only ever be straight. And uh, this is how babies are born. And it's very uh, technical. And I also think like from a lot of the people that I've spoken with, they say that they have, have been taught abstinence or worse, they have been pulled out of sex education class altogether by their parents or they've been told specifically by their parents not to show up. Um, yeah, so I completely feel the, the lack of in schools. Yeah, I think I my memory of it is like they showed us how a tampon works, like they put a tampon in water and showed us how it expands. And I'm like, okay, I don't even think they showed us that. (laughs) (laughs) I think it was just pads or, you know, that's pretty much it. Yeah, it's it definitely could be better. Like, I'm curious if it's better now than it was when we were in elementary school, but I think like the emotional component, like all the sort of like other aspects of sex ed definitely is not included. Like it's just about this is how things are done and this is biology, but there's no psychological component to it. There's no mental like health component to it. So I think those are really important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Sex ed in general in American schools, it could be improved, but I'm just wondering in terms of our see American lens. Like, what kind of examples have you come across? What are people really looking for? Yeah, I should definitely preface by saying that I have not personally gone through the American curriculum. I only immigrated to the States four years ago. And having lived in India, like a South Asian country, for the bulk of my teenage and early adulthood, I think that I can Mm -hmm. talk to that to a certain extent. But I feel like 
definitely a lot of what I see is that there is a lack of community. I think essentially what the most of the comments that I get on the page are, oh my God, I never knew that there was a space like this to talk about sex. Like I, this is like the first time I'm coming across this space. You know, most of the questions are like, where do I get good sex toys in India? How can I have it sent to my house without people knowing? So there's, there's a lot of shame and guilt, I think, that happens. And I think, again, it's so black and white in school, right? Like they're not going to teach you, oh, about the LGBTQIA plus community. They're not going to teach you about your own sexuality. They're not going to teach you about colorism and et cetera, et cetera. But I think also for many kids that are brought up here, and of course you guys can chime in, I think that to a certain extent, a lot of immigrant parents often try survival is sort of the mode, right? And so modern minority is also sort of the mode where you're trying to assimilate Mm -hmm. and so much of whiteness and so much of the colonial behavior is heteronormative, cisgendered, sort of like a straight shoot view. So they always try to stick within communities of their own, try to sort of like have I sometimes find that some families here often have stricter rules than I had in India. Uh, Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's Yeah, that's a really common conception that I've heard too from many people. Very interesting how that turned out because I do feel I do feel like a lot of children of immigrants are sheltered in a certain way and mm-hmm. they grow up in a certain way and it turns out to be a little bit more conservative from say if someone, you know, studied in India and came to America for further education, their way of thinking is a little different. My boyfriend grew up in India and he always says people here are much more conservative than the upbringing I had. And even a lot of my friends, they're very much like our parents just like, I guess, moved on with the times and our parents are still stuck with the upbringing they sort of had. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think many things have carried on. Absolutely. There's still an amount of colorism, patriarchy that they enforce in families but I think one thing that I have seen across the board and I think that I find relates to everyone is the lack of consent in boundaries I think that you know whether wherever you live like you can live in South Asia or you could be living in the diaspora but I think that that's one significant thing that I see a lot like I was on the phone with someone just talking to them they just needed some advice and sometimes I just hop on the call and I'm like okay this is I'm just giving And her parents barged into the call like seven times asking her who it was. There's sort of this idea in South Asian families, this is idea of collectivism versus like individualism. And I I think that also ties into a lot of families who immigrate, who tend to be more conservative is because they're afraid that you might break away and you might sort of chase after these Western ideologies. And I think there's such a strong sense of collectivism of staying in the community and doing exactly what the community is saying and doing exactly what you need to do to survive. Yeah, I think that's interesting because I feel like in some ways that limits our independence, right? Like our parents want us to be stable and get a good job and do all the things we're supposed to do. But then if we're always tied to them, then how are we actually supposed to go and live our lives? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. I think you know, even the other day I was talking to someone and she is, she's a doctor in the UK and she's Bangladeshi and she says that she still asks her parents permission to go to her friend's house. Oh, wow. oh my God. It may sound, but it's so normalized. And of course, as we keep continuing to talk about this, and I really do want to like pinpoint certain behaviors because I feel like we don't realize that we are having our boundaries violated 
on a daily basis and it usually starts with someone from home yeah it's you know interesting you say that because personally like i feel like i still ask validation from my parents a lot i'm like is it okay that i'm doing x y and z and it's like why am i asking this i should know that it's completely fine <laughs> Yeah, and I think just growing up in this sort of sheltered environment makes us, you know, there's that whole stereotype that sometimes American-born or American-raised or confused daisies. Yeah, I have a feeling that these boundary issues are coming from maybe insecurity that mm-hmm. they themselves are trying to grapple with, you know, a different environment and also staying true to who they are. And then I think that just basically translates to the whole boundary violation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... People must be wondering, okay, what has this got to do with sex? But we don't realize that so much of coercion happens that when we're kids, for example, there might be a baby and many people don't realize this, but children under two actually know how to enforce boundaries. So if you're trying to hug a baby and the baby squirms away from you, the baby has established that boundary. That is a boundary. Like it's telling you that it doesn't want to be touched. Um, What you can- Super interesting. Right. And I learned that from a friend who is a mother um, to a three-year-old. And I didn't know that. And, you know, sex education is supposed to be taught to children from the age of two onwards. And usually by parents, like the first contact that you have at all about any form of consent, boundaries, like what's sexual, what's non-sexual comes from your parents. Right. And I think grow up in these really rigid communities that establish these boundaries and I can give more relatable examples no dating until you're married like (laughs) my dad always would say that he'll be like no dating until you're married I'll be like haha that's funny but like they are serious like my phone calls no boys would be allowed to call me at home I was given my cell phone at 16 but they would monitor if he would see late night calls You'd be like, who are you talking to? That's the thing. The more that parents try to control, the opposite happens. You're not going to learn basic life skills, like how to communicate with people and how to be in a relationship. I think consent is a very crucial life skill to learn. And because our community has, it's so taboo or we walk around eggshells on this whole, you know, sex and relationships thing. I think a lot of people grow up not knowing consent. Yeah, and I think to add to that, we don't even know how to establish boundaries with our own families sometimes. So how are we supposed to establish boundaries in our sex lives? I'm so glad you said that, Deepthi. I literally, that's exactly what it is. Because you end up being at like, you, you grow up, I think the addition of having grown up in a strict community where you don't have the access that you're supposed to have towards sexual health, education and resources, you sort of like go, it's impossible like when you're in puberty you you are discovering your body i think like masturbation and then there's porn and then there's talking to your friends your breasts start developing you start getting underarm hair and i think it's so first of all it's so lonely to be going through that alone and your mom is just like oh my god you got your period and celebrates your fertility but outside that it's not very much like oh, my daughter's turning into this woman, or, oh, it's possible that she might be gay, or you, you know, there's not, there's no room for sort of that form of development. So it's, it becomes mm-hmm. really emotionally traumatizing, where I would sit in my room, I would lock it, and I would like have to Google like porn. I learned what intercourse looks like by watching porn. I got this idea of, okay, the man is supposed to behave this way. 
the woman is supposed to behave this way and i'm only watching heterosexual sex right or i'm watching men be mean to women um and that only if he behaves in a certain way he loves you and i you sort of grow up and there's so many like micro aggressions that happen to you like when you come home and you're like i tell my dad i'm like oh my god these guys were like we got i have you heard of the term eve teasing which is the silly yeah. it's just like sexual harassment where men get together and sort of like cat call and sexually about it's also know. like romanticized in like bollywood and tollywood and all the industries right i'm guessing because a lot of people would have seen it because it's such a popular movie in which the hero sort of like slowly undresses her and then like sexualizes her and then like he rubs lipstick on her he rubs like kajal on her eyes. right yeah yeah it's just this is the movie bahubali right yeah she starts Go- off as like a warrior and then in the end she's like all done with makeup and i thought that was just so weird but also what it teaches us is the fact that you can only be deemed attractive and sexual if you are x y and z by that i mean fair skinned you know having the standard like eurocentric beauty standards and you're thin and you have long black hair and you have big breasts and you have curvy hips and you have a flat stomach like that's essentially what it is he doesn't have much respect for her in terms of consent and boundaries i mean speaking of bollywood i've seen i, I you know as a kid i'm sure deepthi priya you guys grew up watching all of that i grew up with the narrative that like boy likes girl and girl doesn't like boy but boy keeps pursuing girl to like the girl you know eventually yeah. says yes and like it's like comedic it's sometimes like it's made to look cute but you know it's actually really problematic like me as an adult i'm like oh my god i watched all of this like what Yes, absolutely. Where the guy would be following her for days, and then everyone's like, "Oh, but he loves you." You're never going to find a man like that who loves you. I remember in India, this guy was stalking me, and he kept sending flowers to my house. And my grandmother had the audacity to say, "I think he really loves you. He's sending you so many flowers. You should marry him." I was like, "I know nothing about this man. He's creepy, and he's following me." and i think that it goes to show even with my grandmother you know even with like sabrimala when the women were started entering the temple right i remember my family just saying no women should not enter the temple i'm like yeah. okay allow dalits into the temple you don't allow women into temples this sounds like a classic mix of brahman supremacy and patriarchy which is mm-hmm. so 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 deeply ingrained i recently made a post about trans lives matter and i get really upset sometimes when i see some comments where they're like you know where cis women think that trans women are a threat to their femininity so it's it's mm-hmm. i think very much this idea of femininity and this ideal woman and who she is yeah. exactly and how they behave how they think and this kind of translates to how maybe certain men in our generation might act towards women you know these people have like this impression that they just can pursue a girl without really asking how she's feeling maybe all of these cultural things that we have experienced and we grew up watching that translates to how we you know react and how we take action for example we think that there's a certain way that we are expected to behave as women and then maybe men think that you know like yeah 
you know, chasing us. And um, I have an example of this that just happened recently. I was talking to someone on from a dating app and then I wasn't really interested because of, you know, X, Y, Z reasons. And then I was getting a little bit scared of how this person was going to react because I could kind of tell like he was getting a little frustrated. He was messaging me constantly and trying to get a response out of me. And I don't know how best to even respond, right? Like it's that fear of what if this person gets angry? What if they take revenge? I started going into all these scenarios, even though fortunately it was fine. But I feel like that's just something that we have to always worry about, which is really unfortunate. You know, it's that toxic masculinity concept coming in. And I think it's not just sometimes men who have toxic masculinity. I think it's women as well mm-hmm. that's very interesting what do you mean by women who have toxic masculinity like they enable it or they absolutely they enable it i think there's so much of internalized and they perpetuate that myth well all men should be six feet and have abs and should hug me like a bear and should be willing to break down the door and i'm like you think that just because a man wears a dress like that any bit of his masculinity. And I think there's this, this new movement, of course. And I think it's so ingrained even in our cultures. Like imagine mm. we all had a brother who wore makeup. Like what would that look like in your households? It's this idea that's perpetuated because we don't mm. see that. And that if you wear makeup, um, that you're gay, that you might be gay. Mm. Uh, you know, that it, it's this very innate separation of masculine features are only for men. And I think that even when you see women, like recently with Priyanka Paul, I don't know if you follow her on Instagram. She has short hair and she colors her hair. And she is not the typical Eurocentric, fair, tall, long haired sort of. And also she's, she identifies as Bahujan. Priyanka is, um, is a Bahujan woman who receives a lot of hate on the internet because she doesn't prescribe to the feminine standards. And many men have attacked her for not being a woman and for not behaving like a woman and for not having the features of a normal woman. Some of the remarks are really cruel. And I think that this is sort of the idea in our culture that women should look like, you know, a standard Eurocentric model and that men should be this big burly guy um, who has a mustache and, you know, comes to save the, he- the heroine in distress. Yeah. And I think this manifests mm-hmm. in young teenage boys who get into fist fights. But it's like, oh, boys will be boys. Or like catcalling women. Like, what about a girl? Oh, she should sit at home. It's because she went out and she <laughs> went at party. It's her fault. There are these very rigid socialized rules by which if you even happen to step out, like, you know, out of it, I think there's mm-hmm. so much of pressure that you get not only from your own family, you know, it's also from the society. I I think that India especially has a long way to go, especially as one of the most unsafe countries in the world for women. Yeah. I just remember when I was younger, my mom always tried to break the mold of this feminine masculine thing because she always felt restricted. She never learned how to ride a bike. She still doesn't know how to ride a bike because her, my grandfather was like, oh, girls shouldn't learn how to ride a bike for whatever reason. <laughs> so she always pushed me, okay, learn how to ride a bike. And then I was like, but I don't want to ride a bike. <laughs> but yeah. No, I mean, it definitely evolved. I think there's such an idea, especially in our own families. And I can like clearly break it down. I think that there's, there's this idea ever since you're children that you 
have to listen to your parents and that your parents are basically your voice and so your parents essentially tell you who your friends should be who you should hang out with what you should wear have you ever met like an emo goth in south asian kid like i would love to meet that <laughs> no i think that would be that would be great for their emotional you know development <laughs> to discourse around like our hairstyles you know or oh, girls shouldn't have a bald head or short hair girls shouldn't look like a boy uh you you look like a slut you look like a whore um essentially telling us who our friends can be why can't you be friends with them not be friends with them yeah okay you know there are some healthy boundaries and there are some unhealthy boundaries like right. i'm not that you should let your kid be rampant on the town and not care where they are at all times but i think there's a difference between barging into their room and sort of being like i as long as you live under my roof my rules and sort of authoritarianism which instills a, a, a sense of fear so we actually mm-hmm. grow up fearing our parents more than respecting them yes we respect our elders yes of course i respect but i think i i fear that more i'm sort of like if i'm out of line even a little i'm going to have these massive repercussions and so that same goes for dating um and even marriage i think that some parents some conservative parents have already decided who their child is going to marry i have a pakistani friend and she says that her 18 year old cousin was like they found a match essentially just the families agreed and then the kid the kids got married at 19 mm-hmm. and she doesn't know this guy and then after you're married it sort of goes again into this this idea of coercion like it becomes okay well you both are going to start this reproductive process you're going to have the first children then you're going to have the second children and then you're sort of going to continue that process right and there's also this idea that the man should be earning more than the woman and that you know you have to find a man who is more qualified than your daughter especially in terms of arranged marriage like god forbid if like i'm the classic stereotype like i have an md and an mph and i feel like if i had brought home a musician and i'd say like this is who i'm going to marry my parents would have given me hell on a stick and i would have literally broken <laughs> because i feel like i don't i don't want to go through this trauma with my parents just so that right position yeah so invariably end up in these attitudes of sort of like correcting your life and i think of also talk about when i speak about sexual wellness and emotional wellness is i think that so many of us really need to heal first of all like i think not just by going to therapy but actually realizing that a lot of the restrictions and having the sexual coercion and the the reproductive you know boundaries and our sexual boundaries being violated we carry that trauma in our bodies and that ends up like manifesting in your sex life where you're like words like starfish where the woman just lies down on the bed and the man is essentially just like penetrating her and there's no like there's no sort of conversation about females uh, women feeling orgasm uh mm-hmm. you know like women yeah. experiencing it like if the woman is experiencing an orgasm experiencing pleasure they automatically associate it with something wrong and you internalize that like there's guilt when you masturbate there's shame when you have sex there's you know if the guy comes around us like i'm not going to use a condom it doesn't give me pleasure and you're sort of like um oh, okay okay like you know you just just want to go with the flow but there is so much of intergenerational trauma being passed down i think even our own mothers and our grandmothers have possibly never experienced sexual pleasure in the way that we might experience it today and i think one thing that i i continually try to do on my page is to say that 
you know, explore your bodies. There is no shame in it. Everybody has sex. We are all products of someone else having sex. It, right. it, it seems a little silly to not normalize that and to only objectify women and objectify bodies that are attractive to us on the media and enjoy that. I think, you know, if our teenagers watch porn, let them. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Figuring it out. If your son spends too much time in the shot, it's okay. You're probably going to buy your first sex toy. Great. Awesome. Tell me which one. You know what I mean? And I feel like so many yeah. really need to break those internalized barriers that we have ourselves. You know, manifest in our dating choices. Oh, I don't want to date a black person. I don't want to date who someone who's dark skinned. Oh, I don't want to date someone who's fat you know, challenge your ideas around beauty and who is dateable versus who is not dateable, right? And I think the other thing that it manifests is also when we slut shame other women. Like when mm-hmm. we see someone who is being over-sexualized, like I know that I judged Nicki Minaj in the Anaconda video. I was like, oh my God, she, oh my God, feminism. And I realized, I was like, no, that's feminism. She has finally felt comfortable enough to put herself out there and to make that song, which is empowering for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And people are judging wet ass pussy the song. And I'm like, no, that's literally, you have so many men talking about fucking women. One song where women talk about fucking men, all of you are up in arms about it. One of the things that I work a lot is encouraging people to realize that you carry so much of sexual trauma in your body and that yeah. your boundaries have been violated, your consent has been violated, your autonomy has been violated. You really, I think that sexual health and mental health and emotional health are all tied so closely um, to each other. You know, masturbation has such positive effects on us. So does having an orgasm. So does exploring and coming to terms with our sexual identity, our gender. Am I asexual? Am I bisexual? Is what I'm feeling gender dysphoria? Or, you know, am I uncomfortable with my body? Do I, am I non-binary? You know, what pronouns do I prefer? I definitely want to pave the way, hopefully with the help of other people where South Asians are beginning to sort of break out of the cisgender heteronormative cis-patriarchal mode of dating and sex and relationships and sort of experiment. It's fun. Verna, you just said so many good points. The whole thing about generational trauma, I can totally see that. And these are things that most of us can't really talk to our moms about it. But I really do feel our generation's changing and I think we're more open and vocal. I don't think our kids are going to have to go through as much of this, you know? Absolutely. As we probably went through. And we have a lot of content now and, you know, talking about female empowerment and female sexual desires, it's good. We should be able to do that without feeling fear or shame. One of the main suggestions I think that I have right now is, is establishing consent and boundaries with yourself. You know, before we go out into the real world and try to have conversations with our parents or try to have conversations with people or try to date or et cetera, I think it's consent. You know, like if someone says, come out with us and you're like, no, but they keep pushing you to come out. I think that it's understanding your boundary and trusting your gut and saying, actually tonight, I just want to stay at home and I just want to watch TV. Um, mm-hmm. Your parents you all of us are going out for dinner if you don't come all the aunties and uncles are going to say where is she why didn't she come out like you know your parents forcing you to come such a relatable scenario (laughs) your phone number to this auntie this auntie's son is going to call you like no you know I think it's when you establish a boundary first of all with yourself and you realize that's actually not what I want right now 
you start to understand that you you separate the idea of love and consent you still love your mom and you still love your dad but mm-hmm. when when you say no to them they think that you don't love them so i think it's helpful to reassure and say that i love you guys but i think that i feel really uncomfortable or i feel really uncomfortable that you just shared my number and i'm hoping that you don't do this again yeah. in the future um our parents do love us i think that you know luckily we have good relationships with them um you know at least i'm able yeah. to sit down with my dad and tell him that you know it really makes me uncomfortable when you keep trying to wear me down and force me into doing what you want to do because it's really not what i want to do and you don't need to know the answer because then they'll ask you okay what do you want to do yeah <laughs> i know but i know what i don't want to do and what i don't want to do is that Right. Yeah, I think it can be intimidating to even have those conversations, yeah. but like you you just said it you don't have to have the answer. You just need to know how you're feeling in that moment. Absolutely. Yeah. And one thing I also say is be strong and firm. Those are really important to respect your boundaries and you know, for you if no means no with your parents and with your friends, especially in our party culture where they're like, "Hey, just have a drink. Come on. It's my birthday. You're not going to have a drink." Be like, mm-hmm. "I'm sorry." xyz but i'm actually not drinking tonight and i i hope you understand happy birthday you know maybe there are other ways that we can have fun together and sometimes lying is is better if they're just not going to get it be like hey this is actually a really toxic relationship because i'm not able to talk about my boundaries and consent freely and openly with this person without being judged and i think that so much of it comes from respecting your own body and respecting your your own self and your own boundaries like my aunts call me every weekend i don't pick up you know and they say oh why didn't you call back why are you so busy so busy be like yeah i actually was really busy but thank you <laughs> you how are things going full stop over sharing is is about is is something that we need to stop doing i think that's a trauma response no no i was like doing this and then i was doing that and then i was doing this oh my god please like no full stop i was busy i had a really busy week oh what were you so busy doing i i was busy and i had a busy week Sometimes if you just repeat a shot <laughs> over and over with a smile they give up. <laughs> That's great. Verena, I'm loving all these tips that you're giving. Yeah. Out. Like all these examples are so relatable. Yeah, I think growing up Asian American, you have a hard time drawing that line, you know? One of the last things I also want to highlight is that we can all be toxic at times. Mm-hmm. I I really want to say that out loud. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, when I entered my relationship with my partner i was constantly hugging him and kissing him and he was like you are not respecting my your my boundary like this is very uncomfortable for me mm-hmm. and i was like oh my god he doesn't love me oh like don't you want me like let me love you the way i want to love you and i think mm-hmm. what's so important is knowing that yeah i am toxic too like i am violating like if i put up a picture um so like digitally like my husband doesn't like it when i put up pictures of him without his consent on instagram mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. initially i took that personally but also realizing that when people put boundaries with us it's like respecting that and realizing that it's nothing about us it's really not about us it's about them like they yeah. Yeah. with their picture internet they don't feel comfortable with me hugging them and you know not to say that people can't evolve i do feel like we could evolve like for yeah. example like social media is something very new to us and i think now i see people having discussions like oh is it okay if i post this on instagram are you okay with the 
you know, me sharing this video, I see that conversations happening. Even me, I'm trying to keep my absolute. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Also, what you share. I had shared something with someone the other day online, and they said, "Hey, can you not send me content like that? Because it actually, I'm very sensitive to it." Mm. Um, and also for South Asians, I do want to say, trauma dumping and emotional dumping is a thing. Just oh yeah. Oh, it doesn't mean you can open up about your your generational trauma to them. If you want to share your feelings with someone, even a friend, like your dearest dearest friend, text them and say, "Hey, I'm in an emotional place right now, and I'd really love to talk about something. Can we talk? Or do you have the emotional capacity to talk about this with me right now?" Yes. Um, That's an important point. I don't think a lot of us think about that, like to ask if it's okay. that i talk about my emotions um yeah and i think another point i wanted to sort of ask is with the pandemic i know a lot of us some of us are feeling really lonely some of us just want to do our own thing and not have to deal with you know mental space of other relationships right now mm-hmm. um how do you respect boundaries during the pandemic that's a great question um i think definitely because a lot of relationships happen online right now and again always ask the question can i share something with you can i talk about something with you um it's definitely difficult to have these conversations online but also know that i think that the good part of it is that you're actually in your own setting uh and work wise i think the other day i had a call with someone and they said can you do something for free and i think like in person of course you have that oh my god you're sweating and your body language but i think one of the things that really helps from being in your own space um is asserting those boundaries um so i say like professionally if someone's asking you to work late on zoom um and you have zoom fatigue be very clear and say actually i don't work weekends and i really hope that you can respect that or if you don't even want to go into that you can say things like i'll have this over to you on monday thanks for your understanding So don't apologize. Thank someone for their understanding. I think when you do that, mm-hmm. you collectively, you for yourself, you honor yourself, and you're able to say that these are my boundaries. That's that's a great tip, Verna. I think a lot of times, subconsciously, we say "I'm sorry" first, and then go on with what we're trying to say. Yeah, and I think there's so much of ableism—the idea that we are all machines and we have to sit behind this laptop for like eighteen mm-hmm. hours, and we also have to face time our parents, and we also have to sit on team meetings, and we also have to uh, do some work online. And you know, it's it's insane. And I think part of that, and something that I start doing in my emails, uh, you know, is be kind to each other. If someone doesn't show up to a meeting, it's like we're still living in the middle of a pandemic. especially in the pandemic if someone's around you and not wearing a mask and you're feeling really uncomfortable set that boundary one of our friends has set a boundary where she said no we are not hanging out indoors at all zero we will hang out outdoors 6 feet apart with our masks on and she's very clear about that and we can only if you want to hang out indoors you have to get a covid test first i think many people are like oh nothing will happen to us nothing will happen don't worry i don't have any symptoms it's okay just come over for dinner and you're just like no actually i i'm taking the pandemic really seriously and i hope that you are too because we just lost mm-hmm. over 200,000 lives to covid-19 yeah um, no this is a you know a totally new scenario that no one would have predicted but it gave us an opportunity to evaluate what's actually important and what things you know you're not willing to compromise on absolutely so i think it's really that's the one positive that's come out of all of this yeah and 
who is actually willing to listen to your opinion, I think is also important to realize. Yeah. I've been seeing this a lot in more of the auntie generation. My mom has always been a homebody. Both of my parents are homebodies. They don't really, they're not the type to be like, let's go out somewhere. They just like chilling at home and gardening and doing their own thing. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then like, there's all these aunties making jokes about, well, okay, like, Quarantine's not too different for Indira. Like, that's not really nice to say. I'm sorry that they make comments like that. Yeah. I think that that happens when you're in, like, a community. But again, like I say, it's tough to work with a generation that is pretty set in their ways. You know, the only thing that we can do is start to develop and break these ideas within ourselves. And when we pass it on to our children. You really can't change the behaviors of some you know, people and opinions. The most important thing you could do is make sure you're firm and you can establish your own boundaries. Yeah. You know, you can control yourself and what you believe in. Yeah. And if you're known as a stickler for it, like hopefully we can all develop a thick skin. But, you know, those are your boundaries at the end of the day. You know, you didn't provide consent. Um, You don't owe anybody anything. And I think it's going to take a while for us to really understand that. We do not owe anything to anybody. We don't have to give away a piece of ourselves to be accepted. Um, I think it's important. If they draw a boundary, don't get upset. I think online, we've sort of developed this idea that it's very different from the real world and that you can't see body language. So it's totally fine. And wild, wild west and there are no rules and everything is allowed. And if they get upset, then that's their fault. But digital boundaries need to be respected. A lot. Mom, don't give my number away to strangers. I'm not comfortable with this auntie texting me and calling me. You know, aunt and uncle, please don't call me every weekend. I need to drop off of the phone after half an hour. That's definitely true. Our parents, I feel, don't set boundaries with others. My mom always talks to like some people for one or two hours and then she's like, oh my God, I have to do so much work. And then it's like, you didn't have to take the call. You could just say, I'm busy right now. Can I call you later? Yeah. I've always like done that. And also now yeah. that you said that, I think that for children and for people living with their parents now, it is possible that your parents are regressing and treating you like they were treating you as a child. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's one of the reasons why I didn't want to move into um, home because I felt like I would regress into my teenage self. Like as soon as I went home, I was like, oh, my God, mom's cooking me food. Like I have my own room and it's the room that I grew up in high school. And I literally felt I was 15 again. I was like, nope, that's not good. Yeah. Visiting your parents, I think is good. But I think that there's a certain amount of now you live under my roof. You have to follow my rules again. You know, where are you going? Um, mm-hmm. It becomes very much you're put back into those same situations. I definitely want to validate that it's stressful for a lot of people and it's not going to be perfect. Like you're not going to be able to establish consent and boundaries from day one. It's a work in progress. Yeah. And some situations you cannot, it cannot be fixed ever. You know, that's something that should also exactly. be mindful of. And you have to grieve that situation that you're never going to have the kind of relationship that you want with your parents. And I'm really sorry, but you know, there needs to take some time to grieve and accept that um, and sort of make this new like life for yourself. Some of the advice I have for most people who talk to me about their toxic house situations, I say, I hope that you can start your own get out of home fund and really get out of home. Yes. Mm-hmm. You can. 100%.
it's not going to happen at home and i'm really sorry but then you're going to perpetuate that and you're going to enter into more relationships like that and i'm not victim blaming but it's because i think that you your guard is always down you know you're all you your consent and your boundaries your ideas of what healthy relationships look like becomes very distorted and you yeah, think exactly. that it's okay for your husband to sort of tell you what to wear it's okay because he loves you and your parents kept telling you when they were violating your boundaries that they all did it in the name of love um so i just want to put that out there that you know if you can get out of home do get out of home you don't need to stay with your parents it's okay for us to live alone and have fun with our friends yeah i totally agree with that i think that's a great advice i just feel like regardless even if you have great relationship with your parents or semi great or worse i think moving out and living on your own just lets you learn a lot of life skills and i think everyone should at least experience it to some degree yeah and i think there's also more space for sexual exploration as well you know you don't really need to explain your choices to anybody and i think that helps in you know sexual development the sexual development that we needed to get at like 16 it's fine you get i got it at 25 never too late i also want to tell people that it's okay that you don't have everything figured out right now like you know if yeah. you continue to feel shame while masturbating and you can't even talk about sex because it's such a taboo topic be kind to yourself it's going to take you know a couple of years to undo a lot of the behaviors that we learn and you're still learning and i will continue to learn you know till i turn whatever 70 so in summary i would say for a lot of our south asian listeners you know question your behaviors and understanding that you also have the capacity to be toxic and that you have the capacity to violate other people's boundaries i think that's really important to know um like you know are you hugging your friend are you texting your friend are you expecting your friend to be there at every beck and call because she's your best friend um she's still a human being definitely respect them i think the second thing is establishing consent and boundaries with yourself while you unlearn what toxic behaviors you have learned it creates space for you to create healthy boundaries with yourself like i'm not going to look at my phone today i'm going to prioritize self care today i'm going to explore my body and not feel guilty about it today it's really important to establish that consent and boundaries with yourself stop saying yes to everything stop saying sorry for everything you know sort of like you don't need to overshare why you didn't turn up for a meeting why you took a day off at work i think consent plays into every relationship and i really will say that how you practice it in the outside world definitely translates into how you practice it in bed there might be uh, situations where you're not comfortable trying certain sexual positions or sexual activities and proclivities and i think it's so important for you to to realize what makes you comfortable what makes you uncomfortable it, it really is about practicing that sexual autonomy in a respectful manner and i think the third thing is in addition to breaking your intergenerational trauma is continuing to learn we're turning into a digitally oriented world and i think it's understanding that consent can evolve like previously we knew that it consent is not always like verbal it can be non verbal it's also understanding that what you were taught about consent or what you taught yourself about consent can very well change tomorrow and i think it all depends on how you approach it and of course as always i think you have to prioritize your sexual health i think this is again something that i want to tell so many south asian people because they feel like oh it's not that important it's not so important actually it's really important that you spend a big chunk of your time exploring who you are as a sexual being 
and you will see that if you once you become comfortable with yourself sexually and you're okay with yourself sexually i think that spreads into different parts of your life yeah very well said i think that all wraps up everything we've talked about yeah. really well good closing statement <laughs> yeah. thanks again to varuna for joining us on this episode you can follow her at Dr. Varuna Srinivasan, that's Dr. Varuna Srinivasan on Instagram. And if you enjoyed our episode, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Desi American Pod. And you can send us an email at DesiAmericanLife at gmail.com. If you don't want to miss an episode, then please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Spotify. And if you're really feeling generous, we would really appreciate if you could leave us a review. Thanks for listening.